Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, shalom, friends. Thank you for being here. Great to get intimate with the Bible, with all of you, um, and uh, and especially with now, who is our most invited uh, presenter here at Valley Beit Midrash, Johnny in Israel, um, as just packs in these sessions with great um, history and philosophy and theology. And so fasten your seatbelts. And we are excited to do this with our great partner in Denver, HEA. And I uh, invite my colleague Morty from uh, Hebrew Educational Alliance to uh, mm -hmm. offer our, our bio introduction this morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Mordechai Kadovitz. I'm the engagement coordinator here at the Hebrew Educational Alliance in Denver, Colorado, celebrating our 90th season, our 90th season, our 90th year. Uh, so I was very proud. I grew up at this shul, so I'm always bragging about my shul. So it's nice to be here. It is our pleasure and honor to partner with VBM and today have Dr. Johnny Schnitzer with his uh, our program and presentation of Being Intimate with the Bible. Uh, Johnny Schnitzer, uh, Schnitzer is uh, probably the only PhD in Jewish philosophy focusing mm. on medieval Kabbalah, who can say uh, that he once beat the head of Israeli Navy commandos in swimming, and uh, his dissertation focused on the scientific Kabbalah of Rabbi Joseph ben Shalom Ashkenazi. Johnny's forthcoming book is about Ashkenazi's uh, Kabbalah, as well as a critical edition of the Kabbalist, uh, Kabbalist uh, majestic, um, I hope I got that, majestic commentary on Sefer Yisira. Johnny's also the author of Mos a Mossad thriller, The Way Back, which paints a picture of contemporary Israel. Johnny also orchestrated the publishing of an English edition of the Hitler Haggadah, an important piece of Moroccan Jewish history from the Holocaust. He has also taken on several leadership roles in the Jewish world, including advisor to the CEO of Birthright and executive manager with Stand With Us. He lectures on a wide variety of topics relating to Judaism and Israel, especially about the untold stories and unspoken heroes of Jewish history. Johnny is happily married with four gorgeous little kids, lives in Israel, and thinks that Australian rules football is the greatest ever sport invented. It is our pleasure and uh, honor to have with us this morning, Dr. Johnny Schnitzer. Thank you, thank you so much for that, Morty. Uh, so, okay, so so our, the, the title, what we're gonna be talking about really is, as the title says, it's how to reach a level of intimacy with the Bible. And I think in this day and age, where we're very technological, right, where we're, you know, everyone that I know around me is using chat, uh, uh, GPT, right? I'm sure you all know this as well. Everyone's trying to use artificial intelligence and robots to tell us what to write and how to communicate. So it's all the more important in this day and age to understand how to come back to genuinely connecting. Uh, and, and what we really are talking about is connecting with God. <clears throat> Hopefully by the time we're done, um, we're going to view the way we come to study, the way we come to prayer, the way we look at letters and words in a, in, a, in a radically different way, in a way that perhaps we would look and yearn for a long lost lover. 
Mamash, as we say in Hebrew, exactly like that. That is what we, that's the equation. That's what we're trying to achieve. <coughs> um, okay, let, let's start with a story. There's a story that I, I it, it comes about in many different uh, uh, talks. And, you know, every Hasidic story is, is like, it has its own ontological existence. And every time that it's told again and used for a different purpose, you know, it, 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 it reaches a new level of tikkun. So here's how we're going to start. We're going to start with an intimate moment between the Baal Shem Tov and uh, uh, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. We are starting when the Baal Shem Tov is slowly becoming the Baal Shem Tov. Slowly he's being recognized as creating a revolution, a new way to study. Studying Torah outside of the study hall, studying Torah uh, intimately, in, in all over the place, <laughs> everywhere, from the forest to the bedroom. Okay, but there are some skeptics. There are some that aren't quite sure. And, and you know, the, the sort of the, the, the lead character, right, that, that's not sure, that's very skeptical. You know, we don't even know what the Baal Shem Tov knows in terms of Babylonian Talmud, in terms of Mishnah. He's into practical Kabbalah, but, but, but he's, he's tempted to go and hear what, what, what everyone's talking about. So he, he, he makes the journey to Mezhibuj, <clears throat> And he gets the Baal Shem Tov. He comes into the room. And the Baal Shem Tov says to him, there's a book here on my shelf, Etz Chaim. Etz Chaim of the Reb Chaim Vital, right? The, uh, the Holy Ari. Everyone knows this book. You know this book, right? The Magid says, of course I know this book. Could you please teach me something from this book? Of course. He opens up, you know, he, he looks around, and he, he teaches what he teaches. The Baal, Te Baal Shem Tov's response you might have said what it read, but but you don't understand what you read. You've said nothing. The Magid is, you know, patient. He's in the Baal Shem Tov's home court. And he says, okay, maybe let me try again. You know, he's being very humble. Baal Shem Tov says, of course. He tries again. Same thing. He says, you simply don't know how to learn. Focus. He says, you don't know how to learn. The Baal Shem Tov then grabs the book. And the Magid notices that the Baal Shem Tov utters the exact same interpretation, the exact same words, word for word, as he just said now, except one difference. The moment it comes out of the Baal Shem Tov's mouth, we, the room, this, this intimate scene, scene starts filling with ofanim, sferafim, chayot kodesh, with all sorts of angels and archangels and magnificent colors. It, it, it's orgasmic. There is no other way of saying it. It is orgasmic. They've reached a climax. A and the Magid gets it. I've never studied Torah like this in my life. He, he says to the guy that brought it, I, I'm staying. I'm staying. And the rest is history. What we're going to do now is we're going to go through three stops. We're going to go through three stops in history. You know, we're going to call them three uh, uh, dates. All right. We're going to now I'm going to share the screen. Um <clears throat> We're going to, you know, because we, we do want to sort of, you know, go through this intimate journey. We're going through, we're going to have three dates together. The first day, and our purpose is how to reach a point, because let's let's all be honest. I'm not even going to ask a raise of hands, but I'm assuming, and I could be wrong. I can only speak for myself. When we come and study Torah, we actually come and study Torah from an egotistical place. We do it for our enjoyment. We do it because we get something out of it. We do it for a reward. <laughs> you know, 
we're not to, to, to truly be altruistic, to truly study Torah for its own sake is very difficult. And what we want to try and understand is how to shift from a place of studying selfishly for our own sake, which is a necessity in order to reach a level where we're studying for the Torah's sake. It's not about us. It's about her. And it's about our relationship. As part of this, we're also going to notice an interesting phenomenon, how we're going to start by, <clears throat> we're going to start with, with a Moroccan Kabbalist who doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which is crazy because he's one of the greatest thinkers to come out of. He's one of the greatest thinkers in the, the Jewish bookshelf, the Jewish history, Rabbi Yudah Hanin. And Rabbi Yudah Hanin is go, we're going to kick off with Rabbi Yudah Hanin. Um, interestingly, so Rabbi Yudah Hanin, I'll just give a bit of background. We don't know much about him. We know that he's, he's part of an important school of Kabbalists, early 17th century in Morocco. This is before the, 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 the Kabbalah of the Ari hits, uh, hits the Maghreb or hits Morocco. Um, and they've brought secrets from Spain and they're, they're spreading in. The Rabbi Hanin is a big one. He writes a commentary, a Kabbalistic commentary. And this is what we're going to look at now on Maimonides, uh, the ration, Maimonides' rationale for the commandments. Uh, he writes a commentary on the Bible. Some is still in manuscript waiting to be uh, uh, revived and, and printed. Okay, so we're going to now see, we're going to start with the peak. We are going to start with the end game. We are going to start with what we want to achieve. And we're going to work our way back because once we have a goal, we know where we're headed. We understand the importance. We're then going to sort of narrow down and work our way back to, okay, so, so how, how can we do this? Because we are human. We are selfish. You know, and, and everyone knows this in the relationship, right? You marry someone based on your needs. And, you know, if their needs suit your needs, then, you know, it, it, things work together. But ultimately, you try and grow together and work ourselves towards not what I want, but but doing what the other person wants. And much like trying to, to achieve that in a relationship and the difficulty to achieve that, in much the same way, it's the Bible. Okay. So, <laughs> Rabbi Yudai ibn Hanin um, we're looking here at his commentary, and I always want us to have in the back of our mind the story of the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid, the difference between the learning, especially at the end. We'll, we'll come back to this. Okay. <laughs> so the 46th commandment, this is how Ben Hanin starts. Uh, you know, this is the 46th commandment in Maimonides' book, uh, right? He's the first one, Maimonides, to sort of list that there are 613 commandments, and he gives a rationale. Ibn Hanin starts, the 46th commandment to sanctify the festival of Shavuot, Pentecost, as it is written, as it is uh, written, you shall uh, convoke on this very day, right? You're going to all come together, uh, gather. This is what it says in scripture. You all read. Now, uh, one other thing I must say about uh, Ben Hanin, it's important. He, oh, and this is, this is actually, this is a point which I think is true by and large for Kabbalah in Morocco. You always start with a simple meaning. And only then do you move on to the Kabbalistic deep meaning, right? There are levels like a first date, a second date. So we're going to start with a simple meaning. But then when we move back to the deeper meaning, when we move forward to the deeper meaning, we are going to notice that even in the simple meaning is hidden. If we're able to undress it properly and cloak it, we, we, we see that also the deeper meaning is hiding in here. The 46th commandment to sanctify the festival of Shavuot, da, da, da. You already know the rationale of this commandment, for initially God wanted only Israel, right? God, there's, there's a famous uh, Agada Midrash that tells us 
God only wanted to create Israel. As the sages say, Israel came to mind. This is the first thing that pops into the Godhead, so to speak. And, and sorry, and were, it's a typo. And were created only to observe the Torah. For if not for the sake of the Torah, the world would not be created. Now, this is, this is very interesting. Notice what we've just read here. We've been told, right, there's almost like a competition. Well, not quite a competition, but, but a sort of a coming together of two separate entities. God wants to create only Israel, but then enter the Torah. The world is only for the Torah. Meaning, perhaps God wanted to find a way to create only Israel, but the only way to create Israel is through creating a world. And the only way a world can exist is through there being a Torah, which is obeyed, which is, you know, be, being protected and kept, cherished by Israel. And when the Torah is not being uttered, uh, sorry, being uttered, uh, uh, forgive me for these typos. I, I've been a bit unwell, so I did this in a rush. I'm so, so sorry. And when the Torah is not being uttered by the mouths of the toddlers, the world begins to collapse. One of the, <laughs> it's interesting, one of the characteristics of Rabbi Uday bin Hanin is he's very crisp, clear. Both when he talks Kabbalah and when he talks simplicity, he's great at creating these visuals. He says, it's very simple. The equation's simple. No Torah, no world. Even if babies are not being taught Torah, the world starts to collapse. Actually, that's what's actually happening. And the exodus only occurred so that they could receive the Torah. Now he's saying the only purpose of the biblical story, right? We're, we're reading it now. We're getting into the exodus now. He says, don't forget that the whole purpose of this, right? Remember priorities. Don't get sucked into the story. Move back and understand. Remember, feel that this is all for one purpose, for Torah, for Israel. Torah and Israel unified together. And when the Israelites were in Egypt, they were impure. Now get this. We've started with a background. Now we're going to... It's going to sort of, we're getting now sexual. I'm sorry I'm saying this, but there's no other way of saying this. This is this is a very, this is sort of, you know, a, a, a rated, you know, 18 plus uh, uh, Torah lesson. Um, and they were impure, like the impurity of menstruation. If purification from menstruation is seven days, then to receive the Torah, it requires seven weeks. And on the seventh of the month of Sivan, a holy assembly they accepted upon themselves and later generations to come, God's rule over them out of complete love from the willingness of their souls, which wanted to cleave to God. Therefore, they said they would first do and then listen. Now, we notice that, that we've begun our story with, <laughs> with the importance of Torah and this equation where we have Torah and we have Israel and they're together. And then what Ben Hanin does, and remember, we're in the simple meaning. He says, he, he equates, or he sort of, you know, the metaphor he creates for us leaving Egypt is like a woman purifying herself or the process from impurity to purity towards cohibition, towards intercourse with the husband. That, that's what he's saying. He's saying, do you want to understand what happened at Mount Sinai? Do you want to understand what receiving the Torah is? Not pretend exactly. It is <laughs> male and female coming together and doing it properly with the right preparation. And what is the goal? Remember, we said the first date is all about the end game. What's the end game here? Complete altruism. 
you first do and then listen. And you first you do out of complete love and willingness of the soul, meaning all that is wanted is what the right. The, the, the world exists for the sake of the Torah and Israel keeping the Torah. So the highest attainment, the highest level to achieve, to attain is keeping the Torah for the sake of the Torah. And that's what's being described here. And he says the bar was set so high because this happened at Mount Sinai. It's the only time this has happened, the first time and only time it's happened where everyone together, this convoking was out of utter altruism. Incredible. Okay, this is this is the simple meaning. Okay, let's let's move on now. And by way of truth, when a Kabbalist says by way of truth, it means now let's go Kabbalistic. On the day of Shavuot, the written and oral Torah. Notice he's brought in again this this play of two entities, Israel and Torah coming together, oral and written Torah together. Right, a written Torah is is the five books of Moses, the the, the Tanakh. The Bible and the, the oral Torah is the Babylonian uh, Jerusalem Talmud. We'll get to that in a moment. So uh, the written and oral Torah were handed down as uh, one, uh, as one. For on that day, the bride and groom, get this, we're, we're invited to a wedding. Good news. The bride and groom came together. And that day is the first day in which the male comes to know. And this is the secret of prohibition. Right now, when he talks Kabbalah, he's explicitly sexual. He says, what I just mentioned about Shavuot and, and you know, Pentecost and preparing ourselves, the written Torah and the oral Torah were unified. And Ibn Khanin is already telling us, guess what? On the eve of Shavuot, next Shavuot that we all have, we need to remember this. When we study Torah, Khanin is teaching us what is the purpose of our studying. And he's creating this beautiful visual, which, by the way, is inspired by the Zohar. The Zohar talks about this, and Hanin makes it crisp clear. On the eve of Shavuot, there is a wedding. There is a wedding canopy in the heavens, and there is a bride and groom. There is the oral Torah and written Torah, and they're coming together. And notice that he, he says, when, when, when they both come together, it is, it is like the, 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 the male comes to know, and this is the secret of prohibition. And know that the night of Shavuot, now what we want to understand is, okay, so what's our part in this? We understand what's going on above, but what do we need to do? What, what do we, you know, not get out of this because we're still in the altruistic level, but what are we meant to do? And know that the night of Shavuot acts as the invitation and preparation of the bride for the groom. The quality of the groom and his invitation come from the world above, right? So, the sort of, you know, Versace, but whatever suit the groom is wearing, that's up to God, the heavens. That's not that's not our jurisdiction. Okay. Whoever the groom is, up to God, up to the heavens. And accompanying the bride come from the world below, for it is our role. Get this. This is this is one of one of the most beautiful texts I've ever written, I've ever read. It is our role to tailor and decorate her dress in a variety of complementing fashions. What is Ibn Khanin saying to us? He's saying to us that on the night of Shavuot, we are making the dress of, of, of the oral Torah. We are actually tailoring it. How do we tailor it? How do we do this? And the essence of the tikkun of the bride. I, I kept it purposely tikkun, right? It's like how to heal, how to fix how to enable the bride to do tshuva on the night of Shavuot, how to truly be herself and reach her potential. 
is to learn Torah for each one of us must prepare themselves on this night, on the eve of Shavuot, to read the Torah, the Mishnah, Talmud, Midrash, and to innovate with respect to the secrets of the Torah to make the bride more beautiful and to decorate her. Right? Wow. Wow. So, so, so this is the visual that, that, that uh, Rabbi Uday ibn Khanin, 17th century Morocco, based on a Zoharic uh, uh, Midrash. This is what he tells us. And you can clearly see now from this, this, this mystical picture, and I'm not going to get into the spherotic symbolism where we'll sort of leave it for the sake of time. We can get back to that if we want. But <laughs> essentially, he's talking about unifying the Godhead. And, he sa- and, and the visual for this is to say, there is this wedding. And I want you to visualize this wedding and this passion and the bride and groom that want to come together. Don't worry about the groom. Don't worry. That, that, that's on God. But the bride, the bride, she has to come pretty. She has to come prepared. She has to come ready. She has to be purified. The way to do this is when we study. And, and I didn't bring all the texts, but, but Ibn Khanin says, you know, you know, there are certain decorations that's by simply reading verses in the Torah. And, and, and there's other makeup that comes about when we read Mishnah and Talmud. And the most marvelous sort of decoration comes from innovating secrets of the Torah, right? Of course. And so what we see here, and this is very interesting, notice that the theme that is going on here is dressing. Meaning, even though we are talking about a very intimate moment, albeit in the heavens, our job is to dress the bride. We're not the ones getting intimate, so to speak. We're the ones being altruistic. We're the ones doing something for, you want to know what, Ibn Khalil says, you want to know what, what studying for the sake of Torah means? It means dressing the bride. It means not undressing her. They're not doing what you want. It's doing what God wants. And what does God want on this night? For you to dress the bride. Not undress, dress. But by the time we're done, we're going to realize that the only way to attain a level of dressing the bride is necessarily through yearning to undress and to undress the bride and to undress actually ourselves and to find the the, the God within us and the connection between us and the Torah. And then everything comes together. Okay, so this has been the first date. And like we said, this this is the peak. We, we, We can't go higher than this. This is amazing. Okay. Rabbi Yehuda ibn Hanin. We now move on to the second date. If the first date is about understanding our goal, right? You go to a first date, you talk about your aspirations, her aspirations, his aspirations, you know, what the goal is. <laughs> the second date is about getting to know, getting to know your partner, getting to know who this person is. It's still not coming close. It's just getting to know and not knowing in a biblical sense. We're just knowing, you know, in a sort of non-biblical sense. Okay, and and the example I bring here is, again, one of the most beautiful texts I've ever read, ever found, by Rabbi uh, Rabbi Yaakov Avuchtzera, right, the famous, (laughs) uh, um, uh, you know, one of the early Avuchtzera rabbis from the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, we're already a bit late in 19th century. By the time of Avuchtzera, he's already heavily influenced not only by the Tsar, but also by the Ari. Rabbi Yaakov in one of his less known books, it's a book of sermons of drushes that he gave for, for certain deceased people. 
Now, now th these aren't any regular people. I'll give you an example. He writes a drasha in, in memory of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, right? Meaning he didn't just die now, but he's writing something, thinking, trying to cleave to connect to this moment when the world, the physical world lost Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. That's the sort of drushas that he's writing. <clears throat> and together in these drushas, get this, drusha number seven, sermon number seven of the deceased, I spoke of this in honor, right? He actually, he gave this drusha and shul. I'd love to hear this. I spoke of this in honor of the passing of my mother. May she rest in peace. And her part with the righteous women and may her reward be granted to the forced. And here, uh, 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 sorry, my soul, it's typo. So, so, so firstly, it's incredible. He's actually write, written a drasha uh, in the loving memory of his mother. So a son <clears throat> commemorating his mother and get what he does next. This is wild. This is, this is an example of how to know, right? How to approach the Torah. And here, <laughs> my soul yearned to explain Eshet Chayil. Woman of valor, right? <clears throat> the sort of the great, the, the song sang in Proverbs by, by, by King Solomon. Uh, <clears throat> I want to explain the meaning. I want to begin to undress. What exactly is going on here? As a metaphor for the Babylonian Talmud, this is great. We always read, uh, you know, on Friday night, we sing <laughs> uh, uh, Woman of Valor, and, and, and right, and, and we're referring to uh, spouse, and yet Rabbi Yaakov to commemorate the the you know the sort of the memory of his blessed mother, says, "Do you know who Woman of Valor is? It's the Babylonian Talmud. Incredible. Let's see, see what he does here. For King Solomon foresaw with the Holy Spirit all that is good, that the Tikkun, the way to bring the Torah to itself in our eyes." The tikkun of the Torah, its laws and commandments, it's all dependent upon and according to the words of the Babylonian sages, who with the Holy Spirit explained the Mishnah truthfully. Every dispute, every issue and every law, all that is allowed and all that is forbidden, they who produced the Babylonian Talmud coronated God and the Shekhinah. <clears throat> so this is very interesting. Rabbi Yaakov, right, and, and what already makes this an intimate moment is that the words that are being uttered out of Abuchzerah's mouth, right, his mother has just passed away. So connecting to one of the most, you know, intimate figures in his life, he takes another verse, an episode, a biblical episode, which we always see as, as one of the greatest, you know, <clears throat> bits of, 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 of poetry of love. And he says, he's actually saying, do you want to know how to learn? Wait, woman of valor to the Babylonian Talmud. That's how you should be coming to know her. Not as a text. Not, not as any other book. She's a woman. She's your lover. This, this is what he's trying to do. And he says, do you know why? And again, we need to go back to what Ibn Hanin said. Ibn Hanin, remember, said, that on the night of Shavuot, two become one, right? As the Spice Girls say, two become one. How does this happen? The oral and written Torah have come together. This is what he's saying. He's saying, thanks to the Babylonian Talmud, we are able to understand how the written and oral Torah come together. 
because we have verses, we have the bottom line Mishnah, and we have the discussion that explains. Without this, we have nothing. The Babylonian Talmud is what unifies God, the masculine sphera of Tiferet, the written Torah, and Shekhinah, the oral Torah. That's what the, it's the Babylonian Talmud is the glue that enables this union. And this is the meaning of woman of valor. Who can find her? The numerical value of woman equals the Babylonian Talmud. Eshet zo Talmud Bavlit. Right. So, and this is this is also interesting. One of the <laughs> chief characteristics of many uh, uh, North African Kabbalists, also also in Europe, but, but it's very big in North Africa, is the idea of gematria of numeric value. And I think part of the issue of numeric value is is that is understanding a text in any given way possible. Right. It's like when you come to know someone you're going out with. It's not just stories. It's paying attention to minute details. This is what's going on here. It's not for nothing that he chooses to start with a numer- with a gematria, which which at times people will mock and say, "Oh, gematria! You know, I can come up with anything." No, it's the practice that's important. It shows that you care. It shows that you are paying attention. It shows that you don't want to miss a single aspect of the text. That's the purpose of gematria. Less than this is this, but it's how we come to spend our time together. Are we really asking questions in order to know or in order to speak? So this is how he begins. <laughs> and that it is written, who, who can find her? Teaches that the person wanting, right, wanting, sorry, to win her company must chase the quality of humility. Oh, we have a first hint. We have a first hint at how to reach the end game we just spoke about. If we want to win her company, and make no mistake, she is our lover, the Torah, we need to be humble. This this humility and altruism go together, right? Because only someone that thinks of themselves is is not humble. Someone that thinks of the other, right? These two things go together. Humility. And and if you read of Sarah, his commentary on the Bible, his commentary of the Haggadah, anything. Humility is a huge thing. It's his number one thing. He focuses on this. I think it's even, it appears in the start of his commentary in uh, in Pituche Chotam, the start of one of his commentaries, the sort of more simple, so to speak, commentary of the Bible. For the Torah is likened to water. We know this. And just like water only chases after lowly places, right? Water sort of trickles down. So too, the Torah only exists in a lowly person. It's only a person that sees themselves as nothing, that, that is looking, right? And Hasidicism talks about this. This is the idea of bitul, the idea of sort of, it's not cancel culture. It's not canceling ourselves. It's making room for the other. In much the same way, this is the secret of creation of tzimtzum, God making room for the other. And the way that we can mimic this is by is by, by acting humble. This is why humility is so important. The only way we can be likened to God, the only way we can study Torah is by doing tzimtum. It is by making room for the other person. So too the Torah only exists with the lowly person. For and, and it keeps on. And I, I've just given you just a little bit so we can just sort of, you know, feel what this is like. 
for beyond pearls is her value, comes to allude that the Babylonian Talmud is at a higher level than the Jerusalem Talmud. Right? There are, there are two Talmuds. There is, so we have Moses, the Israelites come into to, to Israel, Joshua, King David, yada, yada, yada. And then where we're kicked out, we're bad boys and girls. And we have sort of two centers, right? Like the sort of America and Israel. We have Babylon and Israel. And we have study halls, the new kind of, the, the sort of, the, the, the revolution in Judaism after uh, uh, after uh, the, the, des- uh, the destruction of the Holy Temple. Right? This great innovator, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. And they're very different culturally. The Babylonian Talmud and, and the Jerusalem Talmud are very different. Now, Rabbi Yaakov says <laughs> there is no doubt that the Jerusalem Talmud is super holy. It, it's lifnai v'lifnim. It is, it is the closest to God. And yet God prefers at a higher madrega, at a higher level, is the Babylonian Talmud. Right? Why? Even though it was done abroad, ne'esa, Asiya, this sort of there is a, there is a hint of, of intercourse here, even though it was done abroad, and the <laughs> even though it's done abroad, and the other is in Israel, right? Being in Israel, it's a higher level. Her husband's heart relies on her, on her, the Babylonian Talmud. Her husband is God. Make no mistake, Tiferet, right? Unifying certain aspects of the Godhead, the masculine, the written Torah relies on the oral Torah. There is no way of understanding the written Torah, knowing the oral, the written Torah, knowing, real knowing, biblical knowing now, without understanding and knowing the oral Torah, which, which, which was best given to us, he says, in the Babylonian Talmud. And God is joyous, sorry, joyous with the, with the Babylonian Talmud and found comfort that the Israelites won't fail to distinguish between prohibitions and positive commandments between pure and impure. Notice this focus on purity impure. It almost echoes elements that Rabbi Yudah Ibn Khanin is speaking about. Menstruation, preparation towards a holy union of the couple. The couple above, the couple here. And in fact, we're not even talking about a couple here. We're talking about, as we're going to see with our next champion, <laughs> we are actually talking about unifying with ourselves, with God and with the Torah. And he shall lack no fortune for each and every day. From the day the Babylonian Talmud came into being, laws are innovated in each and every generation. And when you read this in Hebrew, mitchadesh, this idea of innovation, it almost sounds like offspring. It's, it's what this intercourse leads to. Children upon children of understanding for later generations. Right? This, 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 this is huge. Huge. Okay. So before we start, so we started, so at this point, we started with a Hasidic story, the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid, and, and we noticed that there are two different types of studying Torah. We don't quite yet know what they are, but we understood that the Baal Shem Tov, when he studies, things happen in the room. Magic starts to happen, reach climaxing moments. The Magid wants to tap into this. We all do. We then, we start with Rabbi Yudai bin Hanin with the end game of what we want to achieve. And the model for this is that first moment where we all came together, and that is Mount Sinai. And that was where we were completely altruistic, completely wanting to dress, not for ourselves, for the sake of the Torah. Our next date, second date, where we start to, to understand 
to learn how to approach our future partner. Rabbi Yaakov Ixtera starts to teach us, you need to know who's in front of you. That, that's what he's actually saying. Understand who's in front of you. It's not a text. It's not a text. And in a moment, we're about to see what it is, and it's, 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 it's going to get real magical and wild and, and, and intimate. It's not a text. And, and this, this beautiful, you know, what he does, connecting the memory of his mother and woman of valor and the Babylonian Talmud, and thanks to the oral Talmud, and, and, and the written Talmud, it's all about unions. It's all about coming together on a deep, passionate level. Real. You have to feel it. Okay. The third date. We're ready. This is this is our final date. After this, we make a decision. Okay. Becoming close. So, so how do we not get closure, but how do we genuinely become intimate and get close? So for this, this this is this really is a, a, another champion. So we've left Morocco, right? Part of what we're trying to do here, mind you, it's not for nothing that if the whole theme here is being intimate by unifying different things that have been separated, then what I'm trying to do here is unify different Torahs that have been separated from Morocco to Poland, right? Because because when else? Because because the truth is that Rabbi Yaakov Ixtera and Rabbi Yudai Ibn Khanin do not come enough together and are not added together enough with champions like the Piasets Narav, Kalmanus, uh, Kalman Shapira. And we need to do this more. We need to do this more in order to unify, in order to reach Tshuva, real Tshuva. And, and we, we all know Rabbi Kalmanus, Kalman Shapira, uh, he tragically is, is murdered in the Warsaw Ghetto, the Holocaust. Uh, he had a chance to leave his students, come to Israel. His brother was here. He had land here. But of course, as, as this great leader, he says, I, I'm not leaving my students. A life full of tragedy, but he really saw in the most positive way possible. Uh, <clears throat> one of the greatest uh, Jewish psychologists ever. The Piasetsna Rav is going to help us understand actually how to connect to our selfishness to who we are, to the way God created us. <clears throat> He's going to give us tools. He's going to show us how to, to do things for our own sake, but with the ultimate goal, right? How to undress for the ultimate goal to dress. How to seek for ourselves. Right? When we when, when they tell, teach us in Ethics of Fathers, that, that, that you know, that, out of studying for our own sake, we reach a level, we attain a level of studying for the sake of Torah. One of the things we're learning today, one of the innovations is that it's not that one is better than the other. One is necessary for the other. You need to start with doing something for yourself in order to reach and to attain a level of doing something for someone else. Okay. For in our work for God, right? Avodat Hashem, both in Torah prayer, anything that we do that is divine. We must feel God's closeness, right? Again, like Ibn Khanin, he's trying to paint a visual. <coughs> just as, just as a son is joyous, uh, 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 sorry, typo, joyous towards seeing his father after years of separation, and after he was tormented, missing him greatly, so too we must yearn and miss God. He's describing now, he knows that it's very difficult to achieve this. Let's all calm down. It's okay. He knows that it's it's very difficult. We are not at this level. It, some of us, it's very difficult to get to a level. You know, it's like, 
it's like one of these uh, uh, <clears throat> a fascinating sociological anthropological phenomenon uh, that that uh, <clears throat> that I learned once by Dr. Zora Viv, uh, uh, the um, uh, the international uh, uh, VP of ed uh, education of Birthright. He says that this, there's this fascinating phenomenon amongst birthright uh, birthrighters, right? They come to the Kotel. You reach the Kotel, and there's this great buildup. You're going to reach the Kotel, right? The number one place in Israel. The feeling's going to be amazing. And this first time, this, this, this climax towards this first time makes it very difficult for quite a few birthrighters to feel. You come and you're numb. You, you come in and you can't do what you need to be because it's, it's so, so, so the PS sets in a rough wants to calm us down. I know it's hard, but I want to first give you a visual of what we're trying to achieve. And then he likens it to something that we can relate to. What is it? What do we, you miss someone. You haven't seen someone for ages. That's an emotion you can tap into. You feel it. There's that person you haven't seen for ages throughout the pandemic. You weren't able to see someone, your loved ones. Hold, grab onto that feeling. Hold it tight. That's what we're meant to feel. This is how we must yearn. This is what we're trying to achieve. Yearn to miss God. When we do God's work, we should feel this is a goal. When we when we do right, the first tool is, is a is a sort of mental tool. What we need to be thinking about, then he'll give us actual tools. When we do God's work, we should feel our souls running towards, towards, notice the gender change, running towards her father. Fascinating. We started off with the son chasing his father. And we're now talking about the souls running towards her father. For she misses him every day and every night. Running and melting. Nemesa. And melting of the soul as it overflows. Right? We can't help but feel that there is another connotation here. It's quite obvious. As it overflows in her father's lap in the heaven. Remember that the, the sort of imagery of, of the father in the heaven is also the, the father is also the lover. Right? In, in a not non-Freudian way, but in a sort of lover's way. Because when we think about it, right? Say, take the Torah and Israel. The sort of feminine and the masculine take God and the Torah, right? So, so one is the father in the sense of the, the creator of all. So it's always going to be a father. So, so, you know, we don't need to go, you know, Freud on this. But what's fascinating here is notice how he, he, the connection, the confluence between he and she and creating this visual. This is what we want to achieve, right? And it's not the, Meaning, this is what we want to achieve for selfish reasons. He's saying, you're going to gain a lot out of this. You want what happened in the Baal Shem Tov's base Midrash. You want what the Magid saw. He saw colors. He saw colors. You want to see colors too? I'm going to help you. This is the visual. Grab onto this thing that you can feel, that you have felt before. This is what we want to get to. And understand, and he's saying something else here. Make no mistake. The feeling that we feel, having missed someone for ages, actually is exactly what our soul feels when, when we come back to study, when we come back to pray. If we don't feel it, it's because we're not connecting. We're not being intimate, but it's there. 
And that's the great news. It's there. We just have to find it. So how do we find it? <coughs> for in our work for God, both in Torah and prayer, we must feel God. Uh, sorry, read this. Okay. A simple task for a person during doing God's work, right? He, he, he knows that he set the bar high, but he's also comforted us. Now you know, he's talking simple. A simple task for a person doing God's work should be a simple thought to think. I'm God's slave. Now, he's already also telling us, put in your mind, in your soul, in your heart, your throbbing heart, what Ibn Khalin spoke about. That your purpose is to dress. Your purpose is for the sake of. It's not about you. It's about God. But soon we're going to understand who God is and where God is. And we're going to be wowed. I'm God's slave. And the Torah, prayer, and commandments through which I obey God, they are a part of God. Everything we do, everything we touch, godly. <laughs> and it is not... Uh, 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 and it is not only through uh, my mind and contemplation alone, right? Seichel, using our mind, cognition, that I cleave to God. For it is his knowledge and his will, right? He's saying here, <clears throat> there's no way to attain this level that we're talking about through cognition because you, you can't begin to, because that's not where it is. You can't begin to compare your cognition and God's cognition. You need to look in a place where there are similarities, where God's hiding within us. I cleave to God for it is knowledge. I can't do this. Only therefore, how do I do this? The letters of the Torah and prayer. They're like names, firot, angels from higher holiness, right? Everything, every time you read a letter, look at it and visualize. Notice, by the way, names, firot, angels. This is what happened in, in the Baal Shem Tov's Bet Midrash. When you study properly, all of these things come alive from the letters that you're reading. Magic happens. And in the moment when I utter them, God and his legions come close to me and I must connect and cleave to this higher holiness, which becomes real within me, pulling me. And when you believe and intend for this with simple faith, sorry for the typo, right? Simple faith. And with a strong will, you need to want this strongly, but come with a simple faith. Remember, put the rationale aside. It's not about logic. It's not cognition. You need simple faith but strong will. Then you will receive vitality, chayut. That's what happened in, in the Baal Shem Tov's Bet Midrash, chayut. This is what your studying will look like. This is the point. Passion is the main thing, right? So, so he's saying, he's telling us what we need to come to, right? So, so he started by telling us, right, the feeling creating this visual, and then he says to us, <laughs> you need to try and look at the letters in a different way. When you come and study, you need to continually be thinking about it like it's a date, not like it's studying text. It's not studying text. You're going on a date. You are actually. Now, honestly, when do we ever do this? It really is very difficult. You know, we study to learn something. We study Parshat Shavuos so at the Friday night table. We have something to say. But when was the last time that any one of us studied in the mindset and be happy to hear that we want to become genuinely intimate to feel God's closeness. Right? You know, I, I could even ask you in this day and age, 
when was the last time, just to stress the point, you, you, you invited God to a social get-together? We never do that. We never invite God to a social get-together. It's beyond us. I mean, maybe others here do, but, but I don't remember the last time I've, and I should, I should. I should be inviting God to social get-togethers, but he's not there because I'm not thinking in that level of intimacy. It's a sort of more, you know, public intimacy. But, but right, and, and, and so it's the same thing here. When was the last time we sat down and studied? And this is, this, is the, this is the thread between all the texts. They're saying, you want to understand how to approach this text? It's unlike any other text on earth. It's not Shakespeare. It's not Milton. Forget about it. It's, it's what happens the night of the wedding. Now we're talking about our wedding. That is the way you need to approach this. Your goal, be, and, he, and he says, I understand you're selfish. So he says here, he's clearly saying, right, this is so far away from the heavenly wedding because he's saying, this is what, you know, this is what you get out of it. What's in it for me? This. You're going to study Torah like never before. And, and when it happens, you'll feel it because you'll start feeling passion. You'll feel this tickle. Something will happen. You'll say, wow, I've reached something. When learning Torah, those learning connect with the teacher of the Israelites, God. But oneness must know how to learn Torah. For whomever learns only with their mind, like reading something else, as we just said, the Holy Zohar says, yeah, this, is, this is scary, they don't have a place in the world to come. If you don't try and attain the level of studying properly, forget about it. So the czar, you know, the, 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 the bar is pretty high. The simple mind is just, now get this, this is beautiful. The simple mind is just the clothing of the Torah. And who is dressed in this clothing, right? When we read text, when we just look at the letters as they're dressed, it's the simple level. We need to be looking for what is undressed. We need to undress the letters. If we want to find the, the names, the angels, the spirit, we want to find God. We must undress the letters. This goes back to what I mentioned about gematria, about numeric value. Learn it, study it every which way. It's the only way to reach that passion, to reach vitality. Why? Because God hid himself in the Torah. So from here, we understand that God is in the Torah. And we also understood this before because it's actually the union between Tiferet and Shekhinah, the union between the masculine and feminine, feminine and it, it's actually in the Torah. So Torah is actually God, and we are actually connecting to God in a very intimate way. And we need to see it like that. We're not studying text. We are undressing God. We want to be intimate with God. The person who finds through learning their hidden soul, this is the end, and whoever learned with his soul and discovered it, this is learning the secrets of the Torah. And what are the secrets of the Torah? The hidden God who hid in the Torah. Do you realize what we just read here? This is crazy. He's just told us the purpose is to undress. It's selfish. This is the only way we can become altruistic. And we want this because we're going to have the best experience of Torah in our life. And we're looking for, Torah, for God, which has hidden himself or herself, behind the letters of the Torah. But guess what? When we do this, we also find ourselves because God is within us. God is in our neshama. They're part and parcel. So we're actually becoming also intimate with, with ourselves. We're, uni we're unifying our, our flesh with our soul, ourselves with God, God with the Bible, the Israelites with the Bible. 
this is intimacy, right? This so so I, I'm going to leave it at this so that I'll, I'll, I've left sorry eight minutes or ten we'll take ten minutes. Um, so this is the story. Uh, um, feel free to ask questions, comments. Uh, uh, I hope it's it's been clear, enjoyable. Um, thank you very much. Yes, Lauren. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Thank you. That was an awesome lecture. A lot to think about. How does one even get to that madrega? And is it even practical for most people to get to that madrega? So I, I think that I think that what the Piasetsna rabbi is trying to tell us, and like many paradigm shifts in our life, <laughs> is that the first step is awareness. Just being aware. Right? That, that's part of the purpose of this lesson. Just being aware that be, because for some of us, for many of us, the mere shift from I study text like I study math or anything else to uh, I'm trying to cleave, I'm right, trying to reach intimacy. That awareness, let, let's let that marinate for a while and let's see where that takes us. So the, the sort of that, that that's the first thing. The second thing is then finding texts that help us. So like Rabbi Yaakov of Hitzera, for example, gave us another tool, becoming more humble. He actually clearly said, you want to achieve this, become humble, because that's the best way to, and it's like in a relationship. When I sort of see myself as not worthy, not in, a, again, like I said, cancel culture, but in that I'm making room for the other, right? It's like growth in a relationship. It's in fact, what we're asking is, how do I study Torah? Is that, And I, I'm trying to follow here the Piasetzna Rabbi's logic in this point, and to answer your question of, can we achieve this? I'll ask you a question. How many of us in this lesson have ever loved a person, really? If we've tried and if we've loved a person, the Piasetzna rabbi says, guess what? You can love the Torah. That, 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 that's what he's saying. It's marvelous. You just have to start thinking, pu pu putting the two things together. How to achieve this, how to grow in a relationship from, right, that what we try and do constantly, daily, from selfishness to altruism and so on and so forth. That, 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 what I think, that's what he's saying. Uh, Agalia, hi. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. And we matched today. That's really funny. Okay. Yes, that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, this is going to, I have something that's a kind of two-part question, all right? So, um, first, I've got Psalm 92 here, okay? And um, in Psalm 92, it's like, you have gladdened me by your deeds, O Lord. I shall for joy at your handiwork. How great are your works, O Lord, how very subtle your designs. A brutish man cannot know, a fool cannot understand this. Though the wicked sprout like glass, grass, and all evildoers blossom, it is only that they may be destroyed forever. But you are exalted, O, o Lord, for all time. Now, that particular part, though, speaks to me of how actually God is, you know, like you take, you learn how to be intimate with the Torah, and then it all of a sudden makes you intimate with basically everything that God created. That's how I interpreted it. Now, take it, this turned into a fight with a friend that we don't want to get into, though, but I started thinking about that also in terms of the lecture that you just gave, which I took a ton of notes and everything, but um, there was one time I was, like, um, the rabbi was um, leading us in, like, a group meditation, and she asked us to close our eyes, and she was talking about, you know, God and, you know, like, taking care, you know, and everything. Um, I, and so she, then she asked us what we saw. 
I saw Theseus and the ball of string to get him through the maze to get to the Minotaur. <laughs> That's what I saw. And everybody thought I was crazy when I said this. However, though, what's made, standing out to me, though, is that a lot of the time, though, um, we could apply this to, one, the, you know, intimacy with the Torah actually makes you understand a lot of things very, very differently. And so it's weird, but not... It's not, you know, that once you reach that intimacy, though, it's not necessarily going to look the way that normally people would think it looks. And so that's why I look at Psalm 92 and saying, well, you know what? The plan, the ultimate plan might be very strange. And are you open to it? Do you want to speak to that by any chance? Yes. So, so, so two points. So firstly, I, <laughs> I think you're spot on. And I think I tried to, to to sort of hint at that, what you were getting at with, with Psalms when, when I spoke about, you know, when was the last time we invited God to a social get together? Because yes, the idea is when we connect intimately at the way we study, it, it suddenly changes everything. It creates a ripple effect of awareness of when I come next to a party, how, how am I meant to behave? And whenever I think of, of, of social interaction with a mate, with a friend, when was the last time I thought of God's presence in this interaction? And then the, 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 the second point that you, that you mentioned is fascinating and very important. I thank you for it because, okay, let's go back to the, the wedding in the sky. Let's go back to this great visual. One of the, one of the great characteristics of Kabbalah, uh, Jewish mysticism is I'm going to paint you a picture and you should know that it's exactly like that. And then five pages later, they'll say, Sort of, not quite. So what is it? Is it mamish or is it sort of? And this play between, and, and I, I think the idea is like what the Piasetzner rabbi was getting at and what Hanin knows as well. He says, we're humans. We're selfish. We're, 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 we're sort of, you know, humans. We're, 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 we're animal storytellers. And as such, we need a visual. And so he says, I'm going to paint you a visual. I'm going to tell you it's real. You know what? In the heavens, it's probably real in a different aspect in much the same way, whatever that means. And that's the purpose. It's that, And this is what the Piasetzner rabbi is saying. He's saying, and this is where his text is so beautiful and it's so condensed, but it's, you know, he's talking about, you know, saying something you can, you can relate to, missing someone. And then all of a sudden he goes to the soul and he's actually saying, this is happening inside you as well. You don't even realize it. And then we're in this constant sort of, you know, balance of sort of, you know, trying to you know discover this this constant discovery of, of of is it exactly what it is or isn't but we're on a journey and these visuals are meant to help us get on this journey and for that reason also what you saw you know when when you were you know is, is it's part of that it's visualizing something that's finding how i make meaning of of, of what i saw 100 percent. you know it's it's a hundred percent so the the excellent excellent comments are uh, there any other questions or comments? I see we're, 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 we're on time, so it's good. All right. Uh, so thank you all very, very much. I'd like to wish you all a, a wonderful weekend and a Shabbat Shalom. Eddie, thank you very much. Rabbi Shmuley, Mordi, thank you all very much. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.